Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And if you want to support the show, check out our merch store over on Etsy at etsy.com shop slash beyondblathers. Also, I wanted to remind everyone that Olivia is open to commissions for custom illustrations and needle felted pet portraits and pins. So make sure to go check out the highlight on our Instagram at Beyond Blathers for more information. Any of these would make like such a cute gift or a fun treat for yourself. So yeah, definitely check it out. Also, a happy update day. If you're listening to this when it's released on Friday, November 5th, that means that the new Animal Crossing update is out. So we hope you're enjoying it. We are going to be playing quite a bit. Yeah. (laughs) I really, really can't wait. It's been like a pretty rough week, just busy with school, and I I just want to play so much this weekend. <laughs> just want to like lie on a couch and just tune everything out. Yeah. So I don't know. We have heard that it's fun to listen to Beyond Blathers while playing, so just putting that out there. So definitely go back, maybe binge our past episodes. Just a <laughs> suggestion. <laughs> But yeah, so this week we're talking about a butterfly, the Queen Alexandra's birdwing, which is exciting. This is a very beautiful one, and I feel like it's been a while since we talked about a butterfly. Yeah, there's so many butterflies in the game, and they're all just so, like, cute. And I don't know, I was in kind of a butterfly mood this week because my lab had a meeting yesterday where we talked about butterfly flight patterns, and it was just very charming and I have, I just am in a butterfly mood. Yeah, that's great. I'm excited to learn about this particular butterfly. So if you bring a Queen Alexandra's birdwing to Blathers, he'll say, Who? The horror. This behemoth butterfly may be called a Queen Alexandra's birdwing, but I call it the queen of my nightmares. (laughs) It is huge. Indeed, the world's hugest. No butterfly can best its foot-long wingspan. The larvae alone grow to more than four inches. As if that weren't appalling enough, they're poisonous. Murderous monsters indeed. Oh boy. I always forget how much Blathers really hates butterflies. (laughs) And it always takes me by surprise. I'm like, this is such a beautiful and elegant butterfly. And Blathers is just like aggressively against it. I bet he would go as like a Queen Alexandra's Birdwing for Halloween as like a terrifying costume. It would actually be so scary. Like I, w- I want to see like a bug themed haunted house. Ooh, like yeah. not to create more negative associations with bugs, but I just went to a bunch of haunted houses this weekend, and there was like the apocalypse theme. There was like a farm, and there was like a scary carnival, and that was awesome. But like I want to see like a lab with giant spiders and like butterflies and stuff not to like always talk about x-files but there's an episode of (laughs) x-files on brand i remember i remember i sent you like a photo of the entomologist olivia because it's just like a thing that has i don't know there's there's killer insects in it or something and Mulder goes to visit this entomologist but she's like very beautiful (laughs) and then scully arrives and she seems to be kind of jealous and like Scully has to like go rush in to go 
help Mulder or something and like the entomologist is with her in the car and the entomologist wants to come inside and Scully's like no stay here this is no place for an entomologist (laughs) (laughs) oh that's my favorite line right it's just like I love it though like a beautiful entomologist is like you should you should go as her this random character from this a single random X-Files side episode. character yeah <laughs> I think she oh. had curly brown hair though I feel like you sent it to me one time because I was talking about wanting that kind of outfit that she was wearing yes like the kind of like not cargo shorts but like the Laura Dern Jurassic Park shorts yeah. it's that same like chic science energy oh yeah her name's bambi oh that, i remember this now <laughs> wait yeah what is it? bambi what's her last name baron bomb <laughs> oh yeah she's got like yeah the cargo shorts and like oh yeah it's very like laura dern she's yes. she's wearing like a plaid loose 90s shirt with like a little white tank top showing yeah it doesn't look like the most practical like field outfit but no, I would disagree. I would say the shorts probably could be a little bit longer if you were in the field, but like it's got big pockets. It's a pretty loose shirt. Looks like cotton. Yeah. I would say as far as like unrealistic scientists are in movies, it's not too bad. <laughs> I think I'm just being a scully and being like Yeah, you're just jealous. <laughs> I'm just jealous. <laughs> the entomologist. <laughs> okay, sorry. Okay. Should we talk about the butterfly? <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay, butterfly. It's it's massive, okay? As Blather said, this butterfly, it has the greatest recorded wingspan for a butterfly on the planet. The females can have a wingtip to wingtip length of upwards of 25 centimeters or nearly 10 inches. Okay, I measured this out. It was the length from my wrist to my elbow. Just think about that. Like, that is a, that is a huge butterfly, so, yeah, shocking. I, I was trying to remember if... I, I'm pretty sure there are bigger moths out there, but this is still... This is pretty intense. And, yeah, so the males and the females, they look quite different. The males are a bit smaller, and they have about a wingspan of 14 to 20 centimeters or 7 inches. Still really big, but not quite the same as the females. Typically, it's pretty common for butterflies to have that size difference, and the females are usually larger because they have to carry the eggs. So there is more space in their body physically for eggs if they're bigger. The image we see in Animal Crossing is of a male birdwing. Also, because the name is like really long for this butterfly, I'll probably <laughs> yeah. be calling it the birdwing. Uh, Queen Alexandra's birdwing butterfly takes a long time to say. So so the, the male, it's got this beautiful, um, honestly, it looks like a stained glass window to me because it's got that black lining with like these patches of blue turquoise coloring and it's just gorgeous. And the, the wings are really elongated. The female, while it's really impressive in size, it's not as pretty in terms of color, but instead it's got like sort of brown and these sort of beige arrow shaped marks along the edges of the wing. But honestly, I still think if I saw that here in Edmonton, I'd be like, that's a really pretty butterfly. So no hate on the female bird wing here. That's always interesting, that sexual dimorphism. Yeah. And like... I don't know. It's They really do look like totally different species. Okay, random question before we get further into the actual biology. Who is the Queen Alexandra that they're named after? 
Yeah, it's um the Queen of England at the time, who was like Queen Alexandra of Denmark, which is confusing. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that was like the name she was known by. I was really confused when I read it. Initially, I wrote down uh, she was named after the Queen of Denmark. And then I was like, wait, but the guy who named her was British. Why would he? Anyway, so it was very confusing. <laughs> but we'll get to that later. There is okay. drama. I was like just itching to know because it is a very long name (laughs) it's a very long name and it's funny because it's not like uh cassian's birdwing butterfly you know how they're normally named after like a scientist or something this one's very eloquent and Mm -hmm. fancy and so where is the birdwing found i'm gonna guess the tropics yeah definitely a tropics bird what am i saying butterfly (laughs) birdwing It, it looks like a bird Yeah, so these butterflies are very rare and they're very picky about their habitats. They can only be found in the eastern part of Papua New Guinea in a region called Papondeta. Here, there are these like massive rainforests and mountains. It's very beautiful and there's a huge diversity of plants and animals. The bird wings will fly really high up in the tree canopy. Often they're looking for flowers up there. And in places where the old growth forests have been cut down, they might then be found sort of a bit lower in the forest foraging. Now, the very first specimen collected for Western science was reported to be flying at 5,000 feet in the air, which sounds a bit like an exaggeration on the part of the collector. But I like the image of like a butterfly flying like just absurdly high up in the air. And now this brings me to, gosh, the biggest rabbit hole I think I've gone down in Wikipedia. Like, I really had to summarize <laughs> this this rabbit hole as best I can. Like, do a Google of this whole situation because it's just wacky. So basically, the collection of this butterfly was for the British zoologist Walter Rothschild. Um, the butterfly was first made known to Western science in 1906 by a collector named Albert Stewart Meek. And he was like deep in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, where his job was to go out and essentially collect as many unusual specimens as possible for description by various naturalists. And it was on his second day in the rainforest that he saw what he like maybe thought was a bird or maybe he knew it was a butterfly, but it was really high up. And naturally, he just decided to shoot it, which like (laughs) seems really on brand for like my image of like you know, like a white explorer dude in khaki in the early 1900s. That just seems like what they do. Yeah, so he shot the butterfly out of the sky, which like makes me think, like, can you imagine if like in Animal Crossing, the way we had to collect the bird was <laughs> like shooting it? Okay, Blathers <laughs> would love that though. Like, imagine just Blathers giving you a task, like you need to take this gun and eradicate all the insects from this island. It's like his sport. I can really see him like trophy hunting insects. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. But like, did that just demolish the butterfly or did he actually collect like a usable specimen? Yeah, this is the craziest thing. So yeah, I was like, okay, well, if you shoot a butterfly with a bullet, like... What are you going to even have? Like pieces of paper, f- like floating down from the sky. <laughs> like, so apparently, apparently, this specimen is still at the Br- British Museum of Natural History. Um, and there was a photo of it online that I saw. It really didn't look that bad. 
There's like a few small holes in it, um, like in the fore and back wings, but it's not that destroyed. And like working in a bug lab, I see some very, <laughs> some very like destroyed specimens of butterflies. So, you know, by my standard, it didn't look too bad. And apparently at this time, a lot of collectors and people who shot at small things would use mustard seed as shot. And the mustard seed would kill something small, but it wouldn't destroy a specimen. In some cases, mustard seed would also be used to kill barn pests like mice because when it went off, it wouldn't damage the wood of the barn walls. I like Googled this and my search history brought me to a lot of like gun fanatic pages. (laughs) Just like a little weird. But I was like, this is like, I really couldn't find a lot on it. But anyway, apparently it was fine and it managed to get this butterfly down for collection. This specimen was later described by the zoologist I mentioned before, Walter Rothschild. And like I said, he named it after Queen Alexandra of Denmark, who was confusingly the Queen of England at the time. Um, But we got to talk about Rothschild, okay? He was the guy who had employed Meek to go out in search of new natural history specimens. Um, Rothschild himself was not in good physical condition to go out and get the specimens himself, so he would hire people. And Rothschild is wild. You just, like, do not get eccentricity like this these days, okay? This is, like, early 1900s, just (laughs) wacky dude. (laughs) Like... (laughs) So he was born to a wealthy family of financiers who expected him to continue in like the family business of banking. He had been interested in zoology since he was a child and had always sworn one day to have a natural history museum of his own. Despite how like odd and like wild his the, the stories I'm going to talk about are, he seems to be described as kind of a shy and quiet guy. And while reading about this, a lot of articles said his family really didn't support his zoological obsession much, except apparently for the fact that on his 21st birthday, his dad had a museum built on their land for him. (laughs) So I don't really know what support means in this case. Like maybe they were just like, hmm, that's a fun little hobby you got there. Um, But I don't know. This sounds like pretty supportive to me. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Like he built a whole museum. So That museum still exists. It's part of the Natural History Museum in England. Um, It's called, like, the Natural History Museum at Tring. And it's, yeah, it's just got, like, a huge amount of this guy's collection. But overall, he was, like, a really bad banker. But his family didn't let him sort of give up on his profession until he was 40. And then finally they were like, eh, you can go now, I guess. Um, But his parents would, like, give him money to go on natural history expeditions, which just sounds like quite the life. Between what he collected personally and the specimens he hired over 400 people to collect for him, his collection amassed 300,000 bird skins, 200,000 birds' eggs, 2.25 million butterflies, and 30,000 beetles, as well as thousands of specimens of mammals, reptiles, and fishes. It was the largest private zoological collection ever. So just mind-boggling here. But near the end of his life, he was forced to sell most of it to the American Museum of Natural History in order to make up for the money problems he was having. Unfortunately, a lot of his collection sold for like basically a dollar a specimen. After his death, it was revealed that much of these money problems resulted from him being blackmailed by a former mistress and her husband. 
Oh my god. Which is just like <laughs> what? I couldn't find out what happened. That is a mystery that I would I would like to know the answer to. What what were they? Because he wasn't married, so it wasn't like the mistress could be like, "I'm going to tell everyone." Like in Hamilton, I'm going to tell everyone that we were together, and you're going to be ruined. Like he wasn't married. He never like I don't know. Yeah, so I'm curious as to what what did she have on him? Anyway, we're going to keep going because it keeps getting crazier. Throughout <laughs> his life, he also had a huge live collection of animals, including zebras, which he trained to pull a carriage. And eventually he was invited to ride his zebra carriage on the grounds of Buckingham Palace. And he just wanted to show off that these animals were capable of being tamed. Um, he also had 144 giant Galapagos tortoises, which he reared in hope of preventing their extinction. And he even leased the entire island of Aldabra to prevent poaching of the tortoises. Wow. There's like this amazing photo of him on his Wikipedia page riding a tortoise and also a picture of the <laughs> zebra carriage. So like I'm, it's probably my favorite Wikipedia page ever now. Like, That's amazing. Um, it's his name is Walter Rothschild. If anyone's like on their phone now wanting to search it up, and best of all his eccentricities, in my opinion, was his obsession with cassowaries. Cassowaries are giant birds known for their like grouchy attitudes and aggressive behavior. He had sixty four cassowaries, and each. <laughs> this is so funny. I can't like. I'm just so okay. <laughs> each one had a personal portrait painted of them. And then they were taxidermied when they died. But, like, the fact that there's just, like, a collection of, like, really cute paintings (laughs) of, like, his cassowaries. I really want to be him. Oh, my God. This is kind of like, I don't know, I guess it's kind of like a old-timey Tiger King or something. Like, Oh, yeah. It has, like, kind of, like, gross undertones like that. I mean, it seems like he, he did care about, like, animals not becoming extinct and stuff but it's also yeah like... he had questionable care for the cassowaries actually like he didn't have them in heated stalls um, oh. which is crazy because they're australian birds living in england but apparently they still survived but it's like hmm that's hmm. <laughs> yeah and like should zebras be pulling carriages and stuff like <laughs> through london yeah yeah he's yeah definitely like a a level of quirkiness that you know would only fly back then yeah apparently like the cassowaries caused quite a problem for his family because they would like attack horses (laughs) Um, and then his dad told him to stop with the import of these live birds so Rothschild started like a secret collection of cassowaries and he'd, he'd like get his collectors to continue collecting them but then he would be like just store those in a safe location uh don't send them over here wow <laughs> like it's just like verging on hoarding of cassowaries <laughs> oh my god i literally have tears streaming down my face like trying not to laugh at this <laughs> it's amazing it's just wild so that had nothing to do with the butterfly but like I just, oh, I got so lost in that rabbit hole and I needed to talk about it. I'm glad you did. It's like my favorite thing is just researching bizarre natural history characters. Usually it only happens with the dinosaurs, but I'm happy I found an opportunity here. I would read a an in-depth profile or even like book about this guy. <laughs> I think there's a book written, it looked like by his daughter maybe, or like 
a relative because they had the same last name in like the 80s. I, I think there are some books on him because he's relatively famous. Like he he still gets a lot of attention within like the museum. Like he's got like a room named after him and stuff. Like he seems pretty well known. As yeah. he would. Like honestly, like how can anyone expect to have a legacy if the guy who rode zebras through Buckingham Palace can't be remembered? <laughs> Okay, so, I mean, I'm very glad that we went down that rabbit hole with you, (laughs) but I guess getting back to the butterflies, do they have any natural predators or are they just kind of like too big for anyone to mess with? It seems like they're not a huge part of any particular predator's diet, but like they are known to have been, you know, like have a kingfisher come and take a bite out of them. And on occasion, their large size results in them quite easily getting caught in the webs of giant orb weavers that apparently live in the jungles of Papua New Guinea. And they also have to avoid parts of the forest with lots of like thorny plants or they risk puncturing their delicate wings. The larvae are susceptible to a lot of predators, including like marsupials and tree rats, reptiles and amphibians, and of course birds. So the larvae definitely have a bit of a, a stressful time out there. Right. And so Blathers was talking about the larvae being four inches. Is that true? Yeah, they're really massive. And like, oh, even like the female bird wing will also make a lot of eggs. Like she will lay upwards of 240 eggs in her lifespan. And she'll have to like carefully search out the perfect location to lay her eggs. And sometimes it's a little away from their like food source. They they only like one type of plant. It's this Aristolochia vine. And sometimes she'll like lay the eggs a little away from the vine. And I think it might be to protect the eggs from parasitic wasps because they'll sort of like lay in wait near the vines to parasitize these eggs. And these vines are amazing. They twine all the way up these old growth trees in the jungle and they can sometimes be up to 50 years old, which is incredible. Uh, Now, once the butterfly lays her little yellow eggs, she's off and the eggs will hatch and you get these crazy big larvae. They'll eat the leftover egg, give them a little extra energy, and then they go off and begin devouring the vine. These caterpillars are just like amazing to look at. They're mostly black with like red spikes that make them look like they're going to a death metal concert. They're just like very goth. Um, (laughs) And they have like very like 2000s like you know, sad boy, equal energy. <laughs> scene, scene. That's what I'm... Scene. <laughs> They're scene boys. They're like scene phase caterpillars. They also have like a bright yellow saddle mark down their middle. It's really cute. And Blathers mentioned before that the butterflies are toxic because of a vine that they eat, which like contains toxic properties. As far as I could tell, it didn't really seem like this was true. It mostly seems like the caterpillars just taste really bitter and they have this coloring that sort of is a warning to predators so maybe they're toxic to some predators but um, couldn't find any info on that but yeah eventually the caterpillars will pupate into their cocoons and later come out as an adult butterfly and those adult butterflies probably live around three months wow and so this whole time I've just kind of been thinking about conservation because you said that they just kind of live in this specific part of Papua New Guinea and now you're saying that they just eat this one type of vine. That sounds like a conservation nightmare to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of is. Like, 
These butterflies are quite a flagship sort of indicator species for the region. It's very biodiverse there, and there's just like amazing wildlife. There's this rainbow fish that's quite rare and many species of birds of paradise. So yeah, in terms of stuff that they're facing, they are an endangered species. Um, There's not a lot of them left, as it seems. They're very rare in the first place. Kind of a more minor conservation problem for them is that they may be collected for the insect market. It's a surprisingly big market. Collectors have been known to pay upwards of $3,400 USD for like a perfect specimen and nearly three grand for even an imperfect one. So they are in very high demand. But their trade is illegal. They're an endangered species and they're protected by uh, Cities Appendix 1, Cities being the sort of international body that regulates wildlife trade. Appendix 1 essentially states that this species is severely threatened and it cannot be traded unless a permit is provided stating that the animal is being traded for non-commercial purposes, basically just for research. So it's really strict. It's an offense to trade them at all or to buy them. But despite this, it's really not hard to smuggle a pinned butterfly. Like, they're they're not that, like, hard to hide, unfortunately. A lot flies under the radar, so to speak. But even though the butterfly black market sounds sinister, it's probably only got a marginal impact on the species compared with habitat loss, which, of course, is, like, the main problem for most things, especially that we talk about on this podcast. Like, Papua New Guinea's timber and palm oil industries are huge. They've got a lot of forest, uh, so a lot of timber activity happens there. And then there's the palm oil. So palm oil is basically in everything. It's in tons of our processed foods like chocolate, chips, margarine, instant noodles. Like, if you can think of a snack item, it probably has palm oil in it. It's also in weird things like our shampoo and soaps and detergents and even cosmetics like lipsticks or like lots of creams for your face. It's it's really in a ton of stuff. Like I, I can guarantee like all of us have it in our pantry right now. Now, these palm oil plantations are often planted in huge monocultures across swaths of rainforest in the tropics. They tend to really damage ecosystems in places where there's a lot of biodiversity. So this issue kind of gets, I, I feel like most people who exist in sort of like an animal related sphere have heard of this issue. I'm not sure about Papua New Guinea, but I know in Indonesia, there's a lot of megafauna like orangutans and tigers and rhinos and elephants. They're all very threatened by palm oil plantations and they're often used as sort of like ambassador species to draw attention to the issue. So I think having this sort of megafauna associated with this problem has made it kind of a I don't know, like a hot topic that people hear about, especially like at zoos and museums and stuff. The forests where this butterfly live, they they used to be these really big old growth forests. They had this, you know, they had thick trees and like those big tree roots and four layers of understory vegetation. It's just like a very rich place. But with the loss of upper canopy trees from forestry and palm oil plantations, it's had just a really big impact on the whole ecosystem and probably has had a big impact on the available habitat for the bird wing. And basically the bird wing keeps getting pushed into smaller and smaller areas in a habitat that it was already pretty picky about in the first place. I don't know, like, I feel like normally in our show, we don't, I don't tend to like sort of have 
conservation messaging beyond like go vote and like be active citizens in your local area. But I feel like for this one, we do there is like some stuff that we can do as consumers. I normally don't like to suggest that it's the responsibility of the consumers to try and find like sustainable products because it can be, you know, kind of unfair when it's really massive corporations doing this damage. But in this case, like we all use palm oil. And if, you know, you want to make like your personal difference, there is like a more sustainable option. You've probably seen stamps or sticker graphics on some of the products you purchased. Things like that little Rainforest Alliance tree frog or like the fair trade sticker. It's a good idea to look for these on your products if you're trying to just sort of, I don't know, if you've got like the choice between sort of a Rainforest Alliance certified product and one that isn't and you want to choose one, you know, that option is always there. I know like the the Rainforest Alliance frog indicates that certain standards of social and environmental sustainability practices were followed. That one's good to look for. But more specifically, there is a logo that says RSPO, and that stands for the Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil. Yeah, so they've got like their own little sticker that you can look for on some products. I'll admit I haven't seen it on a lot of products, but I it is there. So you can always like Google to like what products have this. Now you might be wondering too, like maybe you should just not buy stuff with palm oil in it. But the problem here is that palm oil actually yields a lot of oil per amount of land compared to a lot of other oil products like canola or sunflower seed oil. So it's not necessarily like environmentally better to stop using palm oil entirely because we'll just end up using another oil that's like also not good. So that's why I personally suggest that if people are looking for a sustainable option that you look for RSPO logos on your products. It usually looks like a little green leaf that says certified sustainable palm oil. So uh, just thought I'd, I'd talk about that briefly. I don't know, Sophia, if you have any opinions on like third-party certification or not really like I know that (laughs) capitalism would like us to think that uh (laughs) it's all about our consumer decisions but it it isn't but it it can be an important part especially if you are in like a privileged position and can afford to yeah yeah make kind of more conscious decisions I guess about these things but also I guess don't worry about it too much if it's like a, a financial issue and I just as someone who's family comes from like Singapore and Malaysia and stuff like it really makes me sad to think about like the devastation that yeah the loss of habitat from palm oil plantations brings and like I feel like my family feels a real connection to orangutans because orangutan is a Malay word that means like man of the forest and everything and I I don't know I think it's just really sad obviously they are an ambassador species and then like so much biodiversity is lost but yeah it's like we we literally think of them as like neighbors you know so mm-hmm. yeah yeah so I don't know it's it's like the reason I think I'm kind of nervous to share this is I it is kind of a controversial I don't know it, it's it's kind of controversial I think in this sort of in more academic environmental community yeah to sort of promote 
market solutions to a problem that's created by the market. I think I'm getting way too. <laughs> um, oh, am I a sociology major? Maybe. Um, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, maybe we should just move on. Yeah, in terms of like other solutions to protect the Queen Alexandra's birdwing, some have also suggested that to like at least prevent the poaching of specimens from the wild, that cities should actually allow the trade of farmed birdwings. The idea being that people could buy specimens, but they wouldn't, they'd just be like privately bred, which could encourage locals to find a good source of income and also reduce the pressure on wild individuals. Interestingly, um, some butterfly farms in the region breed and sell other species of butterfly, and they do this by basically having their sort of farm and their garden and making it really attractive to butterflies and then protecting the forest around this because then that'll sort of draw all these beautiful butterflies to their garden. They'll lay their eggs there and then they leave and then the farmers can harvest those eggs and allow them to pupate and then use those as specimens to then sell to the market. So essentially it sort of encourages locals to protect the forest around their farms and their their homesteads and and whatnot. And so that's sort of one of the solutions that's being discussed. Obviously, in the case of the bird wing, they would still not be taking wild eggs. That would still be a problem. But I thought it was kind of interesting to hear about farming butterflies as kind of a proposed conservation solution. And even the IUCN report on the birdwing butterfly suggested butterfly farming as an alternate source of income for farmers in the region who might be pressured to sell their land to palm oil plantations. I was watching a video. It looked like it was it was like a news channel from Papua New Guinea, and they were interviewing some locals who uh, one one man had unfortunately they didn't share his name, but like he had protected like a huge chunk of forest because he owned this land and had made it a butterfly preserve and he was saying that he faced like a lot of pressure from yeah these big corporations these palm oil corporations to sell it off but he was sort of using it as like yeah conservation land and to educate the locals and I just thought that was really cool and wanted to share that because I thought yeah no it made me really happy to see yeah Yeah. I had never thought about butterfly farming but that does make a lot of sense I guess I am like an environmental ethics minor and I definitely am thinking about like, I don't know, weighing the suffering and stuff like that. But I think it it's a really cool possible solution. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And like, you know, I, I know a lot of people who do collect butterflies and they will get farmed, farmed butterflies. It's like kind of common in the community. So, yeah, I thought that was just kind of an interesting, an interesting idea, like food for thought. Mm hmm. So yeah, that's the Alexandra's bird wing. She's all the drama. We went <laughs> on so many tangents. So, uh, wow. That brought us to so many places today. Yeah, that's great though. I love that. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Olivia. It was just a wild, wild ride. And thank you everyone for listening. Don't forget to check out our merch store at etsy.com shop slash beyond blathers and check out the commissions highlight on our instagram if you want to maybe get something from olivia and follow us on instagram and twitter at beyond blathers tune in next week to learn more about the insects fish and fossils you can find in animal crossing new horizons bye bye